Courtside Moms, I'm your host, Wendy Sparks. Today, my guest is Stephanie Dinwiddie, mother of Spencer Dinwiddie of the Brooklyn Nets. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get Stephanie on the show. Thank you, Stephanie, so, so much for coming on Courtside Moms. I feel so blessed to have you as one of my awesome guests. Oh, my. <laughs> well, I cannot tell you how very humble. And pleased I am to have been asked to do this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, as moms of um, professional basketball players, it's so important for people to understand our stories and the backstory of our kids and how it all began. So let's talk about that. Where did basketball begin for Spencer? Okay. He may not like this, but, (laughs) but it is the truth. He used to love, when he was a little guy, the, the character Barney. Yeah. You know, the, the big dinosaur, the big I purple sure dinosaur. sure do. Uh-huh. <laughs> he loved everything Barney. He would, he would sit still for Barney. He could hum the Barney songs and ultimately sing the Barney songs. So when Christmas rolled around, when he was 18 months old, we went and found everything Barney that we could find. Everything. <laughs> One of the things was a little loop over the door, um, basketball hoop. And when the ball would go in, it would chime. (sighs) So at 18 months old, the ball started going and the chimes started coming and they probably haven't stopped yet. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first inkling. He, He really did love it. He had the little basketball that he kept with him all the time. Um, it's just been part of him for literally almost as long as I can remember. Um, when he was three years old, we wanted to take him to the Y so he could learn how to swim. I don't swim, my husband swims. So we thought, I said, no, we're gonna have him water safe. So yeah. we took him to the Y. And when we were standing there, they had a big sign for Junior Lakers basketball. And we thought as much as he's on that Barney thing, and as much as he's trying to toss coins in waste baskets, we thought this will be fun. Little bitty people running around pretending like they can play basketball. So we signed him up. They were hesitant at first because he was three. Right. And the league didn't start until you turned four. But Spencer was kind of tall for his age. So they went on and let him do it. And it's just been basketball literally from 18 months until. He turned 28 a couple weeks ago. Wow. So when did he start playing like organized basketball at this point? Well, if you want to call the Y organized basketball, (laughs) I would say age three. But if you're thinking about something a little more serious, I would say, you know, middle school-ish, but he just, he's played the whole time. Right. But he started doing AAU ball in middle school. Oh, okay. So that's when it started to take on a a different tenor in a way and a different tone. You kind of, you kind of know because everybody is out there. Everyone is sizing up everyone else. That's what ball is all about. Absolutely. That's what makes it not so much fun. Yeah. Um, It's fun to watch the games themselves, but the overall AAU experience was not so much fun. It's a little um, bit but different. that's when it took on a bit of a more serious tone and it was really clear that he was talented and that he had some capability. And he had said from literally, he was three or four, he was going to play basketball. He was, he was going to be a Laker. He was going to be in the NBA. He was, this was just what it was going to be. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So he went later on to William Howard Taft High School. So tell us, what were his high school years like? The high school years were interesting. Tell us. They were, you know, everything, everything. And maybe it's, I don't think it's specific to Los Angeles, um, but everything is just such a competition. 
It is at every step, every turn, it is a competition. And it would happen that if, you know, some of the kids were kind of starting to emerge, then there would always be little, little, little backstories and side stories and things like that going on. But he did beautifully at Taft. Um, He was not on varsity his freshman year. He was very unhappy about that. Um, But it was their policy that the kids had to play a year of JV, mostly their policy. And so he did that his freshman year. And he was varsity after that. He was starting point guard easily by his junior year, probably part of his sophomore year as well. But by senior year, it was was over. He was, um, I think, city player of the year, something something like that. It was, you know, it's been a minute, but I do remember that there were lots of accolades and it was a lot of fun to watch him play. It's always been fun. It's oh, I, I, I can imagine from age three, it's fun, right? For us as yeah. moms, when we see yeah. our kids engage in a sport, especially when they enjoy it. So, oh, yeah. So, when did college begin? Colleges begin recruiting him. And do you remember the very first college that came uh, knocking? Um, I remember it was ninth grade and he was on the JV team. And I remember the coach, oh my gosh. What was his last name? Star. Coach Star. I'm pretty sure it was Coach Star. Okay. Um, when he was in the ninth grade and he wanted him to go, I want to say it was someplace like Iowa or Idaho, or it was <laughs> someplace that I thought, oh no, that's far too remote. I, yeah, you can't go that far. You can't go there. You can't, you can't go there. But yeah, he was just like, mom listen, colleges are interested. They're, they're starting to, to ask questions and they're talking to the coaches. And I said, that's the main thing, that's great. Um, but of course, just like with any of the other kids who are aspiring to do this, they wanna be division one, they wanna play division one basketball. So Absolutely. for him, the focus was to continue to work hard, to keep honing his skills, to get better and better and better, and to make sure that no matter what, whatever colleges came his way, that he would ultimately be in a D1 school. Absolutely. I mean, he had colleges as Harvard and Oregon, Santa Clara and UNLV and uh, Colorado, of course, that were all interested in him. And I, I loved that because I was like, UNLV, that was the same year that my son went to UNLV. So they almost could have played together. But- uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Spencer's final decision came down to Colorado and Harvard. What was the decision process in selecting Colorado? You know, Spencer really wanted to play in the Pac-12. Right. That's what he wanted. But really the deciding factor in that entire process was Coach Boyle, the head Hmm. coach for Colorado. Yep. Tommy Amaker was great at Harvard, and Harvard was an incredible visit. It was wonderful. It was magical. It was everything that you can imagine Harvard would be on a short visit. But when you think about the level of basketball that he wanted to be able to be competitive in, and because he ultimately had his eye on playing professionally, he felt like he'll never know if he can be the best if he's not competing against the best. Right. And he felt like the best would be in the Pac-12. That was his heart of hearts. Of course. It seems like people weren't convinced that his choice was a good one as Harvard is an Ivy League school that can open many doors. So how did you support him in his decision? You know, here's the thing. Our our little family, we have a younger son. His name is Taylor. And of course, my husband, we tend to have family meetings and we would sit in the living room and we would discuss whatever the primary issue was. And then just whatever else might be going on with any of us in the family. So when it came decision time, We all sat together and UCLA had come on kind of late and they were, they were making a pretty good pitch for him to stay here in California. But coach Boyle had made such a compelling case for Spencer to come to Colorado. And I think the the tipping point there was that coach Boyle told my dad, my dad told my husband, he said, I will treat Spencer as if he is my own son. Yeah. And my husband said, okay, well, if he comes, then I'm going to hold you to it. (laughs) And for sure, 
the decision was made because we had waited out. Colorado knew how they wanted to actually play him. They weren't saying, oh, you know what? You can be the one, the two, or the three. You have a lot of heights. You can mm -hmm. do this. You can do that. It was very clear. Coach Boyle saw him as a point guard. He saw him as a team leader. He felt that he could grow and develop him that way. So when we sat together and really weighed out the pros and cons, and we did it with each of the colleges, we did a pros and a cons list, right. each of us, and then we compared it, then Colorado tipped the scales. And Absolutely. promise from my husband to Spencer was that if you go, I will be at every home game. And he does. Oh. He, does. he did it. Wow. So were you able to get to, to any of the games? And so what were they like? Well, I always say somebody had to be the grown up and stay home. <laughs> well, we someone had, had to stay with Taylor. Somebody so. <laughs> had to stay with Taylor for sure. So, and he was still in what middle school or high school, middle school probably at that time. But we would, we would get out there, not nearly as frequently as my right. husband. Yeah. Um, but we got out there because it's just, it's the way that we would do when he was in AAU. Right. Taylor was at every game. I was at every game. Taylor had his video games. I'm watching the games. Yes. Yes. Did you enjoy your experience when you were at the games? In Colorado? Yeah. Loved it. Loved <laughs> every minute. Loved it. NCAA ball. Isn't it fantastic? Yes, it is. The just hype is so much. That's it. That's yeah. the word. Oh, my God. And it's huge. Not just from the introductions, but... But the, the um, what do you call them, the mascots, the, mm -hmm. just the fun of it. Cheerleaders. It's kind of joyful. <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah. you get to just kind of have a lot of fun with that. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I mean, like you said, the bands, and it's just so loud. I mean, now I think it's loud. It is. Ten years ago, I didn't think it was loud. Now I'd be like, Lord. <laughs> no, I thought it was loud ten years ago. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do you really need the trumpets, really? You know? <laughs> so... So during his junior year, though, he suffered an ACL tear and missed pretty much the second half of the season. However, he still decided to declare for the draft that April after doctors said he should go back to school. So how did that decision come back, come to be? Okay. We were actually watching that game. It was in Washington. Ooh. And it was not one that we were going to because we were going to go to the one the next weekend in Colorado. We were watching the game and we saw him go down and we were stunned. Yeah. The three of us were sitting there, we were, and I was pacing. I was pacing back and forth. And I said, is he up yet? And my husband said, no. And I kept pacing, I kept pacing. And I said, I can't take this, I'm going to call. Maybe somebody will pick up. So I called Spencer's phone and he answered. I said, Spencer, are you okay? He said, no, ma. And I said, what is it? He said, it's bad. And I said, okay, I'll meet you in Colorado. I beat him to Colorado. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's a and mom. It, <laughs> and it was, it was tough. But yeah. when he did get in that night, um, he was just really wondering the timing on this because he was definitely being looked at as a first round pick he had played his way into that and he had worked very hard to do it um he said what do i do and i said what do you want to do he said i still want to declare and i said then do that and right. he said okay so the next day we went we found out the extent of the damage on the knee and it was significant it was significant um he had surgery i think it was about 10 days later and then he started the rehab process in earnest and he worked and worked and worked and he did not let up. And when April rolled around, he declared for the draft. And there were still rumblings that he might be a low first round pick, even with the injury. Um, he slipped to the second round, he was the 38th pick. But when you consider that all of 60 kids are picked every yeah. year, no matter what, and he is dealing with what was a catastrophic knee injury, he's ahead of the game. I love so, how he knew his trajectory from the beginning, and he just always stayed on course. So I absolutely did. find that amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. He did. He really worked hard, and I'm, 
I have so much pride and admiration for his work ethic yeah. and for his determination and for his unwillingness to give up. Yeah, good for him. So let's talk about draft preparation and selecting an agent. Where did you oh. as a family start and how did you seek out the necessary resources? Well, <laughs> before he got hurt, oh my goodness, they were breaking the door down. Mm-hmm. My husband could not pick up his phone without an agent being on it, without giving their pitch, without telling us why they would be the best people to represent Spencer, why they could get him the furthest, why they see him this mm-hmm. way. But I guess what? Once the injury happened, those calls? Yep. <laughs> yep. About there. <laughs> so there were several that were hanging in there. There were a couple that were equally as determined as Spencer that he would recover and that he could be everything that they thought he could be, that they were projecting. Um, And at the end of the day, because Spencer was going to have to deal most closely with the person selected, we talked about it, but we said the end decision has to be yours because you have to be happy and you have to feel comfortable and confident. So we didn't all agree on his, his choice, Um, but the scales tipped for him. So at the end of the day, we back him. If that's who he chose, that's who we back. Absolutely. So people always think that they know what's best for their child, you know what I mean, and what's in their best interest. So how did you see through that and guide Spencer? Oh, that's a really, really tough one. I I think just because back at that time, during that time, our conversations were literally not just daily, but they were ongoing because because there was so much to sift through Mm -hmm. and there was so much hype and there was so much conversation. And at the same time, remember, we're dealing with someone who couldn't even be weight bearing for a full six weeks. They would not allow him to put any weight on that leg whatsoever for a full six weeks. So he was on some pretty dramatic crutches Mm -hmm. in the snow. Still, they wanted him to go to class. It was was an interesting thing. So kind of sifting through the muck is what we just had to do on a daily basis to try to figure out what would be best for him, what would best benefit him. Oh, for sure. Um, But he's a pretty strong-willed kind of guy. So we could offer our suggestions and sometimes he would embrace them and make them his own. And sometimes he would say, I hear you and I respect you, but I think this. As long as he's heard, that's all that matters, right? I mean, it's it. at one point, our, our boys turn to men and they have to make their own decisions, whether it's good or bad, right? Yeah. I mean, I just tell my kids, all I can do is, is guide you, but it's for you to decide what you're going to do finally, because it's your life. It's not mine. Exactly. Exactly. We so, just want their best life for them. Absolutely. <laughs> so what were the hopes and expectations for where he would fall in the draft? Um, of course, without the injury, yeah, <laughs> he would have been easily, they had told what we had pretty good intel on was <laughs> that he was mid first round leaning up toward lottery, which was really very strong. It was very good. Um, considering that he had just come on really well as a sophomore, but was tearing it up as a junior before the injury. Um, So we thought, well, with the injury, since they're still saying he could land in the first round, we had our fingers crossed that it would be right there toward the end of the first round, somewhere out here on the West Coast. Um, So when he fell to the second round, I think we were a little bit less than ecstatic. He was. We were ecstatic that he got drafted, period. So. You know, yeah. you just have to be happy. Um, and then, of course, when it was Detroit, I was like, oh, my God, it's one of the <laughs> coldest places. <laughs> oh, my God. Remember, we're from Southern California. So, so yeah, that's true. So it's a it's a it was a big shift. But yeah, of course, you know what? Wherever he goes, we were going to make it a point to be as present for him as we could. So now just take us back to draft night. Mm-hmm. Where did you watch the draft and who was by your side? Oh, we were at home. We had gathered family and friends. Um, 
we had the pastor here too and his wife nice. just because we knew that this was going to be a significantly transitional moment in Spencer's life and whether he actually made the first round or the second or ended up undrafted for some reason because that happens all the time we wanted him to know that we were there with energy and excitement and support and love and faith and everything to just kind of propel to this next step. So that year, the same draft, my son went undrafted. So I understand exactly what you're saying because it was a different narrative for us, right? I mean, here he was at UNLV and just blowing up. And then all of a sudden, his name was never called. So just that moment was really tough. You know, we drove to New York and he didn't want to go in. He just said, I just want to stay in the hotel. And I said, okay. And I'm glad that he did. But at the, in the end, he ended up reflecting on the moment and where he was and understood that I'm not going to make it to the NBA, just not today. It's going to come. But it was, it was really hard to see him crushed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so I, I like what I speak to, to, to you, wonderful moms, because a lot of the moms I speak to, their sons were in the same draft. So I get to hear the opposite. I get to hear the happy stories. You know what I mean? So it's, I, I just love it because it just wasn't the same for us. I mean, but everything all happens in due time. And I truly believe it just wasn't his day. So, so Spencer. You're 100% right. Yeah. Uh, hundred yeah. percent because I could see even on Spencer's face when it was second round but my feeling was look there are 60 kids every yeah. year that's it yeah that's it yeah and if you're one of those 60 there's the blessing there's you're already a winner absolutely absolutely so tell me Stephanie now you're sitting there 38th name is called and it's your baby's name so tell me what did you do when you heard <laughs> <laughs> when you heard your child's name when you're sitting at home were you on your couch what'd you do so <laughs> well we had as i said we had a house full of people yeah and we had a little food you know the whole little thing but i was sitting in front of the tv so when they called his name of course they did a little snippet of a couple of his plays so they were showing yes. him to do this and they were showing him to do that i said there he is <laughs> That's the best feeling. <laughs> oh my gosh. It it was joyful. That's that's all I can say. Whether it was Detroit or Nova Scotia, it was joyful. It was a moment. And there was my baby on that big screen. And they were talking about whatever they felt his attributes were. I don't even know now, but they were talking about something about him. They're probably talking <laughs> about whatever his height was must have talked about some kind of average of something who knows but it was on the screen that's what i know and it was all about spencer that's all that matters <laughs> i just you know what i i'm feeling the joy right now with you it's like you're you're reminiscing to that night and i just i, I love it I love it. You know what? That's something that you can just keep replaying over and over and over. And it's always going to feel brand new. And it's always going to be just more and more joyful. So good for you. So let's talk about his rookie season. Were you able to attend his first game? Um, Spencer didn't click, get to play much that first year. He had recovered. Um, and Detroit had a phenomenal physical therapist. His name is Arnie Kander. Mm -hmm. And he was really great about saying to us at some point, he said, look, you're going to have to stop asking me about Spencer's injured knee. His knee isn't injured anymore. What he has to do now is redevelop the confidence that he is fine, that his knee is whole, that he can play on that knee. And Spencer had done so much of that work and put in so much of that effort so he was ready to play when season rolled around. He was ready, but his coach wasn't ready for him to play. Mm -hmm. His coach had him on the end of the bench. You know, if you know my son at all, that was not the most joyful moment in time for him. So it was tough. Oh yeah, It was very, very difficult. And 
he would get in sometimes for a couple of minutes, maybe two or three minutes. And he would call home and he would say, I only play garbage minutes. And I said, then make the most of the garbage minutes. I love it. I was laughing because my son used to say the same thing too. Gar- and I said, what are garbage minutes? What does that mean? Like, <laughs> Just play. Yeah. Just go out there. And if you get two minutes, make them the best two minutes that there ever could have been. Absolutely. That's it. So he did call one evening and he said, mom, mom. I said, what's the matter? He said, I'm starting. I said, you're starting? He said, yeah, Derek Rose is hurt. I'm starting. And I said, isn't that good? And he said, all I've played is garbage minutes. And I said, so this is your time to not play garbage minutes. Yeah, like. <laughs> it's like, so, accept it. So thankfully, he went and he played and he had a stunning game, a stunning game. And he was thrilled. He was excited. He thought, this this is my breakthrough moment. I think the next game, he might have played again because Derek Rose might still have been hurt. And then whatever came after that, he was back to garbage minutes. Oh, he was so unhappy. Yeah. You know, he was so unhappy. Oh, yeah. That that story is is uh, very, very common to a lot of players. So mm-hmm. <laughs> his time in Detroit was filled with constant instability with playing time. So how did he stay ready through it all? It's his sense of determination. It's his commitment to the game. He loves the game. And I think the game loves him right back. And then that's where I think the resiliency comes from. So two minutes here, three minutes there, 25 minutes here, 30 minutes there. The whole goal was to stay ready because you never know what you're going to be called upon to do. That's right. And I mentioned a few minutes ago, the physical therapist there, he was incredible. And he was such a wonderful voice in Spencer's ear. And he would remind him of his worth and his value to the team as well as himself. And it really makes a difference when there is someone right there in the midst of it, not the parents, because of course, we're always going to find ways to try and lift him up. But someone who was there in the midst of it, who was in that basketball arena, who was in that basketball circumstance and situation, who's willing to say, I've seen all these guys and guess what? You have something special. You are something special. He'll hear that totally differently from that NBA basketball specialist person Mm -hmm. than mom and dad saying, hang in there, honey, hang in there. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to turn. Keep your faith. It's different. Totally different. Absolutely. Yep. You hit the nail on the head. So let's move forward a bit. In 2016, Spencer was traded to the Chicago Bulls shortly after he was waived. 21 days later, he resigned and then was waived again in October, moved to their D-League affiliate team, the Windy City Bulls. Mm -hmm. So explain to us what that period was like for him and your family. Well, he was extremely excited to get traded to the Bulls, extremely. And for the short period of time that he was there, all of the conversation from the head coach and other folks, it was all quite positive. They recognized his capability. They said that they were planning to use, utilize it. So, you know, you, you hear all of those wonderful things and mm-hmm. you want to believe them 100%. <laughs> <laughs> not always a good idea, but that's okay. You still, you want to believe yeah, and you want to hope for the best. Um, so then when he got waived, it, it just kind of really threw him, yeah. but they told him that they would be resigning him. But at this point, you know, trust is already kind of a little mm-hmm. bit shaky. Right. So he wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. Then they did resign him but then ended up assigning him to the Bulls or some, to the Windy City Bulls, something. Yeah. However, that whole little thing happened. And all we know is when he went there, when he went to the Windy City Bulls, he said, I am not staying. And we said, okay, so what happens next? He said, I'm gonna play my way out. And we said, okay. He said, I will be out of here in 10 games. We said, really? He said, I am out. I will not stay. For him. He said, okay. And 
We went to Chicago to watch the first Windy City Bulls game. We've gone everywhere that he's been because yeah. we just do. That's our baby. And nine games into it, he was out. There you go. So in December of that year, another opportunity came and he signed with the Brooklyn Nets. How did that come about? Well, we knew that there was some interest on the part of the Nets because the Windy City Bulls had played their Long Island Nets. And during that game, Spencer had a really, really strong game very strong game and it happened that the Nets general manager as well as some of their some of their other officials in near near level capacity were mm-hmm. at that game right so Spencer even called us when he had gotten back to Chicago he said you know that some of the Nets brass were there and that he had had a really solid game so you know there might be a possibility there and then the next thing we knew there were conversations going on between the Nets and his agent and then it happened, and he was he was gone in nine games. So he went from the second round, he was in the G League, cast off, to later landing a three-year, $34 million gig with all of that uncertainties that he had previously faced. Did you imagine that possibility? I trust God, first and foremost. Yes. And I believe, I have always believed that he would not have given Spencer the dream. He would not have given him the ability. He would not have given him the physical attributes that are necessary to play in the arena that was he was hoping right. to play and not have an avenue there. It didn't mean it was going to be the easiest path. It didn't mean that he was going to be the number one pick. It didn't mean that he was going to be the number five pick. It didn't mean that. It just meant you have all of this going for you. Keep working. Keep working and believe for the best. And it will come to you. Absolutely. It will find you. And those first, it was so ironic that first um, year, the in 2016, when he had first gotten picked up, um, I think the Nets were just kind of bringing him on as an insurance person because Jeremy Lin was hurt. Um, a couple of their other people were hurt. And then we flew out so that we could see him play. And the day that we were gonna watch him play, it was the day after Christmas in 2016, Jeremy Lin was feeling better. So Jeremy Lin was going to play and Spencer was in a suit. Ironically, Jeremy Lin tweaked that same hamstring again, I think that evening, and then was going to be out for a while. So then they needed Spencer to actually play. Right. And from that point forward, Spencer had some pretty good games. And as he gained in confidence and settled into their system, um, the games only got better and his level of play only got better. So, yeah, it was fun to watch. (laughs) Well, sometimes changing a team or an organization can completely change a player's career. So how has this change made a difference for Spencer? It has been phenomenal. It really has. Um, we have been back and forth to Brooklyn, of course, over the past several years. We make it a point to see as many games as we can in person. And then those that we can't see in person, we're watching diligently on the TV here in LA. Um, we just don't want to miss any part of it. Life moves so quickly yeah. and things can change so fast that you want, to, you want to experience the joy. You want to experience the moment. So when there's a half-court three-pointer that he manages to pull off, we want to see that. <laughs> we want to see it in real time. So it has been an unbelievable journey when you really pause, mm-hmm. but fun and exciting and at times disappointing and um, hurts your feelings and all of those things. Oh, yeah. So many different emotions that's life. Yeah. Yeah. That's life. In any profession, you'd go through the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. But I will say this for sure with the Nets, Kenny Atkinson was a phenomenal coach and he really did work to develop the guards. The leadership there, Sean Marks and so many of the others have just been really wonderful 
with um, standing up to what they say yeah. and and being able to to have some confidence that their word is their bond. So Spencer is now rehabbing from a partially torn ACL that he suffered in December. Uh-huh. How has he coped mentally during this time? You know what? It's, it, when it first happened, he called me, said, Mom, you're going to come for the surgery? And I said, well, Spencer, it's probably not a good idea. You know, we're, we're in COVID times right now. And I said, but I'm there in spirit. And when it was done and he had started his rehab, he had everything all planned out exactly how he wanted to do it. And he told me, he said, this compared to the other one, piece of cake. He said a partial tear with a knee re- compared with a knee reconstruction. He said it is night and day. And he's attacked it as if it was literally a full-time job. He is in, right. in rehab seven, eight hours a day, even now. Um, he will be more than ready when it's time to return. Um, my my only admonition from, for him is that I don't want him to rush. Right. I don't want him to push too hard or push too fast. All those games will still be there. Yeah. Yes, you will miss many, but the rest will still be there. Just take your time and let your body do what it needs to do and let your mind catch up to the fact that the knee is healing quite well. Yes. So is he hoping to return um, before the playoffs? That's an excellent question. I think that he would like to believe that he can. (laughs) That's all that matters. Well, I'm, listen, let's keep all hope alive. I do pray that he can. Actually, I was in Tampa the other day and, um, he, um, he wasn't at the game. They, the Raptors played, um, the Nets. Uh So, so it's so funny because this is my first time seeing a game in a long time. And the first thing I do is I look for the moms. I'm like, okay, hold on. (laughs) But then I'm thinking, okay, there's like nine people in here. So chances are Stephanie isn't here. And then I look for Spencer. Where's Spencer? And I'm like, oh yeah, he's injured. But (laughs) that's right. Spencer's out here working, working. Yeah. Working. Yeah. I scoped the bench. I looked for him. Like, where is Spencer? I was like, (laughs) no, you were going to find him there. You were going to find him over here in his rehab, doing whatever balancing things or strength things. He's going to be doing all of that. Yeah, I should have called you and said, um, I don't see your baby. So <laughs> I just said, hold on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's right here. So let's talk about Spencer off the court. His social media bio reads, I'm just a tech guy with a jumper. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean, mom? That means that he and his brother are very well connected. Our younger son is a tech guy. He's uh, in grad school at USC for getting video game design. Okay. Um, and the two of them connect over tech very well. If you see the two of them, they're similar, but quite different. Yeah. It's really an interesting thing. So he acknowledges that side of him and then he has a jumper and he's proud of both. So I love that. <laughs> Spencer is someone who prides himself on leading and taking the path less traveled. (laughs) Was this something that you saw early on? I think this is true of both of our sons. Um, And I think that it's, it's, I, I think it's a product of their own curiosity and their willingness to pursue their own curiosity. Right. Um, When Taylor, our younger son, told us that he was going to design video games when he was 11, Mm -hmm. we said, oh, Taylor, that is so cool. That's great. And when he was out of earshot, we said, what is he really going to do? Because you can't do video games with your life. (laughs) Little did we know. Little did we know. You can't do video games with your life. You can design Mm -hmm. them. You can create them. You can test play them. There are so many things that you can do. We've since learned. Well, same thing with Spencer. He's into social media. He was more so before. He's backed off since he's been rehabbing. 
but he finds it interesting and compelling and challenging to have ongoing dialogue with people who consider themselves to be his fans. Yeah. So I want to quickly dive into his passion for sneakers. (laughs) (laughs) When did he start designing them? He started as a kid. He would have little sketches of what shoes would look like that he could design for himself. And the thing that pushed him again over the edge was when he was in his first year, Nike didn't really want to give him a contract, not even one of the small ones. So he decided then, I don't want Nike. I'll do my own. And took him a minute, but he did his own. And he knows every aspect of shoe development because he really did do it. He went to China, he put in work and he figured out this will give me more lift. This is better for my arch. This is better for my instep. So there are different types of materials that are used. I know nothing about it, but he knows every aspect about the shoes that he's developed. Well, he actually went back to Harvard to yeah. learn all of this, right? See, so he did go to Harvard. <laughs> yes, he did. He did for some, whatever the special something was. Yes, yes. And look at him now. I mean, now he's designed and created his own shoe. I mean, has he always been a visionary? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I can just imagine. Oh. There are times that it is so exciting and there are times that it is mind-boggling it's like okay spencer can you say that again please just break (laughs) it down for me a little bit differently i consider myself to be a bright person but can you please break it down because i'm not catching up (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was watching some uh some things with him explaining his shoe and his designs and the work he put into it and i was just like so intrigued so intrigued. You start talking about the different types of materials and you put in the shoe and I'm like, okay, that's just beyond my pay grade. I just, I just want to wear them. <laughs> I just, I want to I, feel good. Yeah, yeah. I just want to put the shoe on with the big S on the side. That's it. Yeah. yeah. yeah good enough. Yeah, yeah. Good I'm good. So. <laughs> so let's learn some fun facts about Spencer. What is that go-to dish that you make that he absolutely <laughs> loves? <laughs> During the off season, because he is one of those healthy, very careful people during the season, but during the off season, I can make a mean short rib. Okay. Smothered in gravy, little rice on the side, definitely some (laughs) broccoli happening, and he (laughs) will go for it in the off season. But during season, he won't touch it. He'll say, mom, mom. Don't make that. Oh, that's funny. So what do you make during the season? I don't cook. Oh. My husband does. No, my husband really is an incredible cook. And that's where Spencer picked it up from because Spencer, he says that it helps him relax when he cooks. Mm -hmm. So no, mm -mm. but you ask my special dish, my special dish is short ribs. Every once in a blue moon, I'll make them. Oh, I love it. During the off seasons. Got it. Note to self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I know when to come to LA. Off there season. There you go. Yeah. Short if you ribs. Come, I'll make them anytime. <laughs> yeah. Smothered in gravy, a little bit of rice. Got gotcha. it. So, <laughs> what was one item as a child that he could not live without other Ooh. than a basketball? Yeah, we can't talk about his Barney basketball because that's his. <laughs> And by the way, that my son lived, uh, he, he, he lived through that whole Barney era too. So he loved it See? as well. So yes, because they're the same age. So that's it. Yeah. So it makes perfect me. sense. Yeah. He's going to um, kill me, but whatever. <laughs> as a kid, it's hard for me to think outside of basketball, but once he hit adolescence and he actually got to have a phone, he could not be without it. He yeah. could not be without the phone. Drove me crazy at times, but he couldn't do that. So when he didn't listen, was that your go-to to remove? Your go-to <laughs> item to remove when he didn't listen was the phone? <laughs> there would be the threat, but he would be such a charmer. Yeah. Yeah, my kids too. They used to go into shell shock when I removed the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> it is. It is. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> so... Did you have a childhood nickname for him? And if you did, what was it? Cutie pie. 
honey pot, sugar lump. Oh, you have all kinds. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Now I want to ask some tips or advice for our listeners. Okay. What tip would you give a mom who has to deal with a coaching decision that she does not agree with? To be still. Just be still. Yeah. I can, um, I can be fairly opinionated, but that can also harm my son. Mm-hmm. So it's best for me to learn when and how to be still and to try to help him understand when it's best to try to be still. Because our son seems to have this thing about wanting to argue with the rest. You'll never win the argument. They are in charge. So it's best to learn. My advice would be know when to be still. Just, Just know when to be still. I have yet to see a ref that turns around and says, you know what? You're right. Hold on. <laughs> and then he goes and reviews the play and then he just, yeah. And then he puts that little speaker thing on and then he says, you know what? I'm going to reverse the call because Spencer said, really? <laughs> I know. I, I always love, I, I love when the players run after the refs all through the court. I'm like, you can't get those two minutes back. doesn't matter. You can't. Yeah. And here's the other thing you're going to get. Tech. Yep. Yeah. I I love it. I I'm like, what are they saying? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. Like anyway. So, <laughs> so what advice would you give to a player about how to deal with a tough teammate? Ooh, it's touchy. Is this tough teammate a superstar? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's see. On the Brooklyn Nets, let's uh-huh. say. Spencer says, Mom, Kevin is just driving me nuts. What happens? What do, what do you tell Spencer? To, yeah. <laughs> no, he's not driving you nuts. Perhaps he enjoys peanuts, but he's not oh. driving you nuts. I love it. Not <laughs> Okay. Good advice. Love it, love it, love it. <laughs> tell me. If you could only give one piece of advice to another courtside mom, what would it be? I would say enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. I remember when I was in um, grad school and I had been out ill with pneumonia for a couple of weeks and I came back and I was frantic because there was work to catch up on and this and that and the other. And the professor was wonderful. She said to me, Stephanie, stop. You have to learn to enjoy the journey. You're gonna get to the destination, but you have to learn to enjoy the trip. So my advice to another courtside mom would be, you know what, enjoy this moment. This moment's not coming back. There could be something special happening somewhere around us, if not for my son, maybe for yours or maybe for someone else's. And let's relish the moment because if the last year has taught us nothing else, we have no guarantees, none. And the more that we're able to be in the moment and enjoy the moment, the better off all of us are going to be. My last question to you is, if you could use one word to describe you and your journey as a courtside mom to Spencer, what is that word? Loving. Oh. That's the best word. I didn't expect that. You know what? I just love it because it's true. You know, as moms, we're nurturers and we do love. And, you know, if you would have asked, if I would have asked this question to a father, it would have been a whole different story. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, whole other answer. You know what I mean? So I just, for me as mom, we love our kids as who for who they are first before they're basketball players, right? Yeah. yeah. And this is why I love doing episodes with moms because the love comes out. We always talk about our our kids like they're like they're kids, like they really are. And no matter what. We're all, the nurture comes out of us just because that's just what we're ingrained to give out. I don't know any other way to be. Exactly. 
And I have to say, the work that you're doing, the joy that you're spreading, the happiness that you're sharing is incredible. It's so easy to get lost on the sideline. You know that you're there, we know that we're there, and we're there to support our kids. But the fact that you're saying your voice matters, your experience matters, and maybe some of the challenges or difficulty or hardship or, or the joy that you've yeah. experienced can help pave the way for someone else or might lighten the load for someone else. And that matters. So for that, I give you huge applause. Oh, thank you. You're going to have me cry on my own show. So <laughs> you know what? Thank you. No, really, I really appreciate it because for me, it is touching because like you said, our voices are so important. And I used to listen to what people would say about our kids. And sometimes it's, it's awesome things. And other times it's just devastating and it's just so not fair. And at the end of the day, they're human, just like these trolls that say all these awful things, right? It's usually people that don't play basketball, can't play basketball, have no clue but yet they understand more than they say they do, which isn't true, but it still hurts. And I want people to know that our kids are human. They're just, they're normal. They're just regular guys, that the backstory starts with us. I've read one too many times that Brooklyn pulled Spencer off the scrap heap. It's like, excuse me, guys, come on. Can you find another way to phrase that he was actually contracted to come from the Windy City Bulls to the Brooklyn Nets? Is there another way that you might phrase that? He has never in his life been on a scrap heap. And that kind of thing, it is offensive, but they don't think about it. They don't think in those terms. They just write it. Because at the end of the day, it's their livelihood. That's right. And it's their future that they're trying to solidify. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should talk more. Oh, we should. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> so I want to thank you, Stephanie, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to teach us so much about your journey and Spencer's journey. And we wish him really all the luck in the world. And we pray that his uh, rehab goes quicker than we... <laughs> quicker than he'd like and that he's back on the court very very soon so thank you so much for coming up courtside moms and thank you so much for having me it has been an honor Amen.